Okay, now for our, our second message, it'll be brought to us by Mr. Barnabas Grayson, and it is actually entitled Living Church. That is his new title. afternoon. I changed my title because I got too involved in the previous title that you saw and I saw that it's going to take a little bit more te technical explanation and I thought well I'll just uh, put that off and go ahead and do this one on the Living Church. So I uh, hope you'll understand. I've got a handout uh, to give to you. So as you know tomorrow is, uh, is Mother's Day. You know, our mother was the one who carried us for, for nine months, and um, she's the one who gave us the strength and gave us the nourishment to, to be born into this world. Everything done, you know, outside, inside, uh, but everything on the outside, just we were protected from. But then came that day when uh, we were born, and I'm sure every mother was very happy, very relieved, and also joyful at the same time because the umbilical cord was, you know, finally cut and became a part of this life, of this world, born into this world. There are many mothers who remember that day. I can remember uh, seeing my uh, firstborn child uh, born, and I know the, uh, the uh, labor that uh, my wife Carolyn went through. So there's a lot to the uh, labor and it's, we can compare it to the body of Christ because the body of Christ is the church and the church goes through uh, the struggles of labor until that day when you know, the cord is cut and we're born into that kingdom of heaven. I'd like to turn to Proverbs uh, chapter 1. You know, we grew, and we can be thankful for a lot of things that uh, we've been taught, a lot of things that we've learned over uh, time, taught by our mothers and our fathers, of course, too. And uh, we cherish those things, especially in the church. We look at verse 2 of Proverbs 1. It says, to know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding. And we have, you know, the Proverbs in the Bible uh, to look into. Then we go over to uh, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of your father, and forsake not the law of your mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto your head and chains about your neck. And then we're warned, my son, if sinners entice you, if someone, a sinner entices you to go opposite your teachings, that of the church, that of your parents, to consent thou not. Unfortunately, we know that there are some who do not have a mother. My mother, for example, was... Uh, three years old when her mother died and uh, her grandmother raised her and taught her at least about the Bible about going to church 
So when I was younger, when I was little, uh, there was a tradition in the Baptist church that I went to where uh, the custom was to wear a flower that represented whether or not your mother was alive that she, and was living. Uh, a red rose represented that your mother was still alive, and so at that time, uh, I can remember my mother pinning this flower, or it might have been a rose, to my chest, and it was red. I asked her what it was for, and she said, that's just to show that your, your mom is still alive and living. And a white rose uh, meant that your uh, mother was no longer living. So it had a, uh, when I saw others with white, uh, white rose, I knew that, you know, they don't have a mother. But you know, the life of the mother and all the things that they've taught, taught us can live on. Honor your father and your mother, it says, in the word of God. And to honor those things that uh, they have taught you about living in the faith. The title of this message today is The Living Church. Some may wonder, am I in the right church? Am I doing the right thing? Did I make the right choice? Are the things that I believe in really true? Are other churches wrong? Is there really only one church? What we see in the world around us today is uh, many churches with varying beliefs. And we know that we are quite different from the Sunday-keeping churches. And they know that they are quite different from the Sabbath-keeping churches. For some, it can be confusing to have to choose and then ma uh, make the right choice. And even the right church, there may be very, various uh, differences, various beliefs, and we find that no, no one, none, is perfect. But one thing is sure. The church is a living church, and it must exist somewhere. The familiar scripture we'll begin with is in Matthew chapter 16, where it says in verse 13 that when Jesus gives us the, the setting for this, when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, what, uh, whom do men say that I, the son of man, uh, am? And they said, some say you are John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, but whom say you that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. You're the Savior. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said unto uh, him, answered unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. So there's some spiritual things that we come to understand that leads us, that guides us, that confirms that we are on the right track, that the Spirit of God is working in us. It may be a little at a time, but then it, it, it grows. Verse 18, but I say also unto you that you are Peter, or Petros, but upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not uh, prevail against it. So, meaning the church is built, it's being constructed, it is being built by Christ, and it's not going to die out. There are three key words that we notice here, uh, Petros, of course, Petrus, and Ecclesia, or church. Peter's name means stone, means a stone. But Petrus means a large rock like a boulder. And Ecclesia, which is a, a literal or chosen to mean a called out assembly or 
believers in Christ, who are believers in Christ. Peter's name means a stone, but Petrus means a large rock. I will build my church, said Christ, and the gates of hell, that is, you know, Hades, that represents the grave, that represents death, shall not prevail against it. It's going to be a living church. So this work is ongoing. The church living is ongoing and will be until the kingdom of heaven is established upon this earth. We know from other scriptures it says that God cannot lie and it says thy word is truth. So we can trust in these words that we read in this book that we have that we bring to Sabbath services. But there are thousands of Christian church organizations and denominations and we know that there are you know divisions. And so we see where Paul asked in 1 Corinthians First uh, Corinthians 1, he said, is Christ divided? Verse 10 of 1 Corinthians, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. So we ask ourselves, well, do we all speak the same thing? Probably in a long discussion, it may, you, there may be variances. But the request is to all speak the same thing that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared unto me, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. So in conversation, somehow some you know, things get out of hand or uh, people become contentious because there are various opinions and divisions. So we've seen things like this take place. And with a result, some churches, you know, are split and they break up due to those carnal differences, like in administration or mission or even in certain beliefs. In verse 12, now this I say, that every one of you say, I'm of Paul, and another I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. So they were, you know, choosing uh, sides due to whatever persona the, uh, the influence was. And he asked in verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And in verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized in my own name or in my own honor. He was not baptizing for the sake of, you know, claiming members for himself. He knew people might think that though, along the way. So he was thankful that he only baptized a few so no one could, you know, say, I'm a Paul. So he was making sure that they understood that he wasn't in this to baptize them or to split the church in, in whatever way it might come across. Verse 17 or 16, and I baptize also the household of Stephanus, besides I know not whether I baptized any other. And he says in verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be of none effect. John 14, verse 6, we know this, we've heard this familiar phrase, I am the way, Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. So there is oneness that we can see in that statement. One way, one truth, 
and one life through Jesus Christ. One direction, one truth, one life, one salvation through Jesus Christ. And in John 10, he said, I and my Father are one. In verse 27, let's see what happened when he said this. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never per perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So, <clears throat> if things are, do not sound right, from study into the word of God, we can realize that you know, something might not be right. We hear his voice, or we don't hear his voice, depending on how much we know about the word. And he gives unto them eternal life. He gives unto this church uh, eternal life. So it, it is a living church, and they shall never perish. Verse 29, my father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. And I and my father are one. And so what happened then after he said that? Verse 31. Then the Jews, they took up stones to stone him. Because they understood, they plainly understood that he was speaking blasphemy when he claimed to be God by saying he was the son of God. Jesus answered in verse 32. Many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of these works do you stone me? You know, when people are wanting to stone you, they're wanting to kill you, they're wanting to do major harm to your body. But the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work, we don't, we're not stoning you for a good work, but for blasphemy. And because that you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, You are God's? If he call them gods unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Say you of him whom the father has sanctified and sent into the world. You blasphemous because I said I am the son of God. If I do not the works of my father don't believe me. Believe me not. But if I do though you believe not me. Believe the works that you may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. So yeah. Christ was saying, look at all the miracles. Look at the healings, the forgiveness of sin, the preaching, the, the restoring of life, all these sound doctrines that he was talking to. So there is oneness. But do, in spite of all that, they sought again to take him after that ex explanation. But he escaped out of their hand. There is oneness. The scripture does say there is one God. And so well, we ask, well, can there be two and still be one? Both with the same character, both with the same authority and title. In Isaiah chapter 9 and in verse 6, I don't think I have it on the list, but here we see the prophet sees that Christ, see, he sees Christ as already born. And he said, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And a couple of words that we look at where it says Wonderful Counselor. 
Actually, that's one Hebrew term. Wonderful counsel. We also see the mighty God. The word God is El. El Gabor, which, you know, uh, God hero. And it's always used of God. It's never used of a man. And we see it as the everlasting father. The translated still as father of eternity. Abiad is the, is, the, uh, is the word in the Hebrew. So he is the source. He is the way. And he is the life. Which is, you know, when we, when we uh, look at the word Emmanuel. God with us. Briefly, uh, back to Genesis uh, in chapter 2, verse 21 through 25. We see where the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in, uh, instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. One flesh, one entity, one family. Matthew chapter 19 verse 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. We know that there are vast differences between a man and a woman. That there are uh, vast differences between the ages of, you know, of a child and of, a, of an adult. But they too shall be one flesh even in spite of those differences. Let's go now to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul expand, expanded or expounded on this oneness in Christ. He said that there is one body. That is the church, that, you know, that is Christ. And one spirit, the spirit of God, that begets us as his own. Even as you are called in one hope, the hope of eternal life of your calling. So one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us, is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So, you know, Jesus is one who determines that gift and by and what amount or what measure that gift is given to us. Some a little bit, you know, some more. Like, the you know, in the parable of the talents. In verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given 
to every man to do what? To profit, to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues or glossa. That's meaning a language, an earthly language. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these, it says, works that one and the self-same spirit. Dividing to every man severally as he will. So, these gifts, like the miracles of healing and so on, they're not, they don't seem to be as prevalent in our society today as it was in New Testament times. So, we look at this as maybe God is not in the church, that maybe Christ is not, that maybe it's not a living church. And so, we, you know, jump to conclusions. But all these works that one in the selfsame spirit, dividing severally, uh, dividing to every man severally as Jesus wills, as Christ wills, as God wills, because they're all on the same, they're all on the same page. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many, and we are many, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, have been all made to drink into one spirit. Speaking of gifts, this is a little bit of a pause, and I told Lawrence that I was going to mention this. He's shaking his head. <laughs> you know, we well, mentioned tomorrow's is Mother's Day, right? And uh, he, told, he said... Uh, he got me back there against the wall. Said that you know tomorrow's Mother's Day. Since tomorrow's Mother's Day, uh, uh, he wasn't going to give Janice a gift because since she already has him. <laughs> and I told this to Janice just to be sure that she, you know, I didn't get thrown tomatoes at her or anything. But I told Janice, and she said, "Well, uh, wait till Father's Day." <laughs> But, you know, one of the things about being married is, is you begin to understand one another and you can uh, joke about one another and, uh, and smile and take it, I guess, because you know. And, uh, but I thought I'd mention that. Gifts. We all have gifts. Some of us have a good sense of humor. Some of us, I've been told I have a dry sense of humor. And I, I really can't tell a joke because uh, I just don't know how. I get lost in it. I forget everything, and everybody waits on the punchline, and it just doesn't work. So I have to write them down. But we know from 1 Corinthians 14.33 that God is not the author of confusion. Yet with so many churches espousing various uh, views and beliefs and behaviors in the name of Christ, we realize that there is no oneness but division. And we know that Satan is the deceiver. That if he can, he will get into your mind and he will make you doubt. 
it may he may make you doubt maybe a certain word that you hear or maybe uh, some sort of belief that is on you know, is might be in the book or something but it stands to reason that any church that claims to be the church Jesus built will be in line with his teachings or else as Christ Jesus said Matthew 15 5 he said in vain they do worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men so there is a way that seems right but the end thereof are the ways of death and we see what we want to see we hear what we want to hear and we look at it at others as in the wrong not realizing the truth so it matters what a church believes and teaches because there are vain and false teachings of man and there are in comparison the true teachings of Jesus Christ but the will of God, how is the will of God made known? It's made known through the reading and the and study of the scripture. Second Timothy you know, tells us that. To study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Second Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture was given by inspiration of God, and so we're to have trust in that word. And if there's uh, something that is puzzling to us, you know, the, the principle is here a little and there a little. You go through, through the Bible to uh, find connections. So it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the church as, as a living uh, body are looking to those things that make for uh, eternal life. But when there is a conflict and we see a contradiction, here's what Acts 5.29 says, if, uh, that we ought to obey God rather than man. So the Holy Bible we know is the instruction book for mankind. It's his road map to, to finding the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus also told us, he said, take heed that no man deceive you. So we are to beware because many false prophets and teachers have gone out into the world and shall deceive many. I have here uh, to mention the prosperity doctrine, but I'm going to skip over that. But, uh, you, you're familiar with the prosperity doctrine. But, you know, sometimes in Sunday morning papers, you might see the, a headline that says, Attend the church of your choice. And that's because with so many differences, you're, gonna, you're the one that's going to have to make up your mind. The one that's going to have to make the right choice. Because who can say what's right or who's wrong? So, you know, you have to let the individual decide. So we might have to ask ourselves, well, how does one make the right choice? How do we decide on that choice? Now, each one of us had some inspiration in our past to bring us to this point in time, this point in time from, uh, from way back. Uh, from the time that I was a, a toddler, I attended church and uh, was baptized in a, a semi-clear pond <laughs> by a Baptist minister. And I was among some very good people, caring people who believed in God, who believed in Jesus Christ, who were my friends, who were my relatives, and others who were not. 
And really, it is not you know, my call to say they were all wrong, uh, they're all being condemned, because Christ knows those that are his. And you know, God will have all people come to repentance someday. But there was a time that we somehow came into the truth. In the early days, you might remember where uh, somebody might ask you, well, uh, when did you come into the truth? Because, you know, if you were in worldwide that time, you found the right church and you were, you were in the truth. So whether we came from a Methodist or a Baptist or a Catholic background, eventually the scriptures become more revealing to us as we mature. But what thing led to our belief? What condition were we in uh, that led us to the truth? And I'm talking about the truth as the word of God and into a more uh, serious look at what the Bible says. Like the video show, you know, uh, what things can we be thankful for? Sometimes when we are feeling down, you count your blessings, then you begin to wake up and say, and think, well, I've got these blessings. Why should I, why should I uh, be discouraged, like the song says? So one of the signs that led us into the truth is the day on which the church worships. So we know that that is the Sabbath, and I've mentioned that before in, in past sermons. Moses, you know, said to tell uh, Moses, uh, told Moses to tell the people, verily my Sabbaths shall you keep, for it is a sign. It is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. Why? It says that you may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify you. That's how you come into the knowledge, by keeping his Sabbath, knowing its purpose. However, we do know that some churches just don't understand that. They say it's not pertinent to salvation. And, of course, some are blinded to this way, this truth, and this life. The Bible also says that Jesus is Lord even of the Sabbath day. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We also know from John 1 that he uh, created all things, including the Sabbath day. So this day on which we worship, the Sabbath, was not created to be a meaning, meaningless one-time thing. For we are commanded to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, to not forget, to be kept by his people, his church. As the scripture says, I am holy. Be you therefore holy. In John chapter 1, it says in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So he is the Lord of the Sabbath, special day of rest, and one in which to find joy and gladness in. Now you've probably heard some Sunday preachers say, this is the day the Lord has made. They get that phrase from Psalm 118, 24, where it says, this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So the Sabbath, we know, is a temporary respite from the cares of this world to set 
mind, our mind on the truth of God and the hope that he has given us and of the promises that there will be a better tomorrow that is to come. In the world, however, you shall have tribulation, said Jesus, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This was read earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that in the last days dangerous times shall come. Now we know that these things have always been but knowledge of that has increased you know through news reporting and breaking news and things of that sort that just immediately you know something is taking place. So we know we see the many per uh, uh, perils that life throws at us. And the reason for this is because men shall be lovers of their own selves. They'll, they'll, they'll be selfish, covetous and boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. These things, of course, are a part of human nature, of undisciplined, carnal nature. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. These are deeds, you know, that, that affect the lives of others. And as you read, you know, the, the, this uh, chapter, these verses, you see that Paul is really trying to put in as many uh, things for us to think about and not do. And not, and not to uh, be a part of the living church. Tells us that there are traitors. That there are heady people. That there are high-minded Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. That's why he listed those things. Those things are for our consideration to make sure that we turn away from such things. When we feel an inkling of coveting, you know, turn away from those things. So we know that some of these people of whom this describes... Not just those on the outside world, but even, you know, um, among us. The, some of these people, they go to church. They say they believe in God or in Jesus Christ. But at the same time, <clears throat> they have hatred for fellow man. But be of good cheer. Let's go to Hebrews 10. Um, sake of time I'm going to skip some of the uh, scriptures in between Hebrews 10 we are in a holy assembly doing as uh, God would have us in each one of us is a spirit of trust and faith in God and we're striving to learn and do as the scriptures say. And so you know we do believe. That this is the Sabbath day. And verse 23. Of. Hebrews 10. To let us hold fast. The profession of our faith. Without wavering. It would be easy to let go. If someone you know started talking. Well you don't need to keep the Sabbath. You don't need to do all those things. That you're doing. Keeping the holy days. And, and not uh, eating uh work like you know most people do so it says to let us hold fast the profession of our faith and let us consider one another to provoke that is to stir up unto love 
and to good works. That, you know, that's what the living church is doing. Teaching us how to live. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day of approaching. So, you know, there is a judgment day that is coming. A day of wrath, a day of tribulation. But even on top of that, as we grow older, the closer we are to what befalls all men. And for it is appointed unto all once to die. So we need strengthening that comes from the worship and hearing God's word, especially on this day. I know that, you know, during the week there's Bible study, uh, there's prayer, and there's uh, meditation and things that you, know, that, you know, help us to hold fast the profession of our faith. So we know that the Sabbath day calls for a holy uh, convocation, a, a get-together. It's a, it's a habit, but you know when it's like if you're exercising and you run maybe a mile a day and or you lift weights on a certain day or have some sort of thing that you do physically to keep your body in shape. But if you start you know slacking up or, or letting it go uh, before before long, you're back out of shape. Carolyn wears one of those uh, watches where it counts the steps, you know. She's got to have so many, I think, what, 20,000 20, or something like that, maybe more. And uh, <clears throat> I don't have one, but uh, she wears hers diligently and keeps up with the steps because it burns so many calories and it keeps her in better shape. And we were walking up a long uh, walkway and uh, it's pretty steep and uh, uh, <laughs> she was... She wasn't puffing or like I was because I was behind her. I didn't you know, let her know that I was uh, taking it a little bit harder than she was. And I said, I'm in shape. And I really, really am not. But when you get out of the habit of, of doing a physical exercise, you kind of lose uh, interest. You kind of lose uh, uh, continuance. And so, you know, the Sabbath is a, is a habit. It's a routine that should not be forsaken. Just like prayer, uh, you get into the habit of prayer, and when that time comes, that's the time you just can't, you just got to get up. You got to stop what you're doing because you got to go pray. So, in Colossians three verse twelve, beginning verse twelve, we see some uh, Christian virtues that are listed here. When Christ, who is our life, in verse four, shall appear, uh, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. So that's you know that's what we're looking for, and we're told to mortify. Uh, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, all, all these things that he lists there in verse 5, because for which things uh, sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. Now, in verse, uh, down verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. And if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all these things, above all these things, put on love, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be you thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace 
in your hearts to the Lord. And that's part of the routine that we do when we come to Sabbath services uh, when, uh, to worship. Verse 17, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. That is, do it all in honor of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So the church is an assembly, an interacting body whose hearts and minds are set on Jesus Christ and his will by helping one another in various ways through various gifts. There's a lot to be thankful for and sometimes uh, we forget it's, it's such an easy verse here in John 3.16 yet, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So that's believing faith. That's living faith in uh, being in the living church and uh, living Christ because we know human life is temporary. But there is life everlasting that waits for those who qualify through faith in Christ. I've been 35 minutes, so I think I, think I can finish up in 10, in case you're wondering. So the church that Jesus built will be spirit-led, in love, and obedience toward God and his law of righteousness, which is a commandment-keeping church. And by this, he says, shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. He that loveth me, he that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and shall be loved of my Father. So, though there be persecutions, trials, tribulations, you know, various sorts that, you know, we, uh, there's a record of, of things in the past. And, you know, today we're very fortunate that we don't suffer as much as some Christians have in the past. But there is going to come a time when there will be persecution. We live long enough. Trials, tribulations of various sorts. But here is the patience of the saints. You know, patience is connected to having endurance. But here are they who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And nothing shall separate them from the love of God, as we read in, in the book of Romans, no matter what the adversity. Jesus said, Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. A little flock of people, a little gathering of people, here and there, and not really great in number in comparison to some of the churches that you see along the route coming here. My sheep know my voice, said Jesus, John 10, 4. And those are the ones who read, those are the ones who believe, those are the ones who feed from his word as written in the Bible. And he goes before them uh, like a shepherd, and his flock follows him because they know his voice. So as mentioned earlier, ecclesia is a gathering of those in whom the Holy Spirit of God dwells, and it's given to them upon repentance upon change in their life upon the change to do good and to do better in their life in some way and through baptism and the laying on of hands the church is its people both in a physical and a spiritual sense 
Jesus said that where two or three are gathered in my name, in honor of him, he is among them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, there is no other foundation to build on than what already is laid by Jesus Christ. What a church teaches and how its people conduct themselves must be in line with the word of God. And by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and when we keep his commandments. When, his, when the living church does this. So the church Jesus built will not be teaching the doctrines of the commandments of men but of God. So one must be careful on what he or she builds. Peter said that we should follow in the steps of Jesus Christ. But we know that narrow, straight is the gate that leads to eternal life. It's so narrow that you know people uh, want to find the easy way. And there are not many who find it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says that you are the temple of God. The spirit of God dwells in you. That's what makes you the church that Jesus built. The New Testament is built upon the foundation of both the apostles and the prophets. And so you go back to the Old Testament and see that that's where uh, our faith, that's where uh, a lot of our understanding comes in. And you can read the book of Proverbs and know and see just about every commandment mentioned in, in the book of Proverbs. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Jesus said, you are the temple of God, if so be the Spirit of God dwells in you. So the church is spiritual. It's not built by human hands. It's a body comprised of believers led by the Spirit of God that forms a holy congregation. So the size of the church building or its membership does not matter. Its material wealth does not matter. The church that Jesus built, what matters is love and obedience, meekness and faith and a humble attitude toward his word. In James chapter 2, we see that it is an impartial church. My brethren have not the faith, in verse 11, well, let's see, 1. My brethren have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. And you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing. You know that clothing word has changed a lot in our day today. And say unto him, sit you here in a good place. And say to the poor, stand you there over there. Or, or sit under my footstool where you know by, no one can see you. Are you not then partial in yourselves and are become the judges of evil things? Hearken, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to them that love him? Heirs to the kingdom. There's a lot in that expression. Heirs to the kingdom. Heirs to uh, the most magnificent mansion you can probably imagine. With all the landscape and all the gardening and all that. And all the authority and all the power that, that would be attached to that. That's what's in store as heirs. In Luke 12, uh, 32, I read this earlier. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you 
the kingdom. And we know that the Lord is not slack concerning the promises as some men count slackness. But, you know, he's long-suffering, he's patient, not willing that any should perish, but that they should all come to repentance. In summary, generations will come and go, but the church that Jesus built will not die out. The sign of the church that Jesus built is built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. It is uh, the sign of it is you know the Sabbath day and the holy days. It is a commandment-keeping church, and even to the time of the end, we read you know Revelation twelve seventeen, where the dragon that is to come was wroth, speaking in the past tense also, with the woman. And it went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. In, and in Revelation 14, 12, but here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So we see that as the living church, blessed by God, led by Christ, we shall not be hurt by the second death. And... God will give us a measure of protection if we live long enough to see the persecution and the trials that are to come. And we also know living in Jesus is to be in the living church. And where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So stay in the church. Remember that it we are connected an umbilical cord, you know, you know that's, the, that's how the mother feeds the baby that's in the womb. I didn't go through all the notes that I had on here, but uh, you can look those scriptures up, I think. <laughs>